Hide your kids. Lock the doors. You're listening to HR's most dangerous podcast. Chad Sowash and Joel Cheeseman are here to punch the recruiting industry right where it hurts. Complete with breaking news, brash opinion, and loads of snark. Buckle up, boys and girls. It's time for the Chad and Cheese Podcast. Welcome to the Chad and Cheese Podcast, boys and girls. I'm Joel Cheeseman. Chad is out this week sipping craft brews in Oregon, but I'm lucky enough to be joined by the CEO of Wonderlick, Charlie Wonderlick. Say hello, Charlie. Hello, Charlie. <laughs> On this week's <laughs> podcast, we're talking about millennials, automation, uh, just about anything that we want to. Should be lots of fun. Stay tuned, and we'll be right back after this word from our sponsors. Ever made a bad hire? Well, who hasn't? Hiring the right person can be extremely difficult and, quite frankly, can kill your business if you get it wrong. Well, now thanks to the folks at Wonderlick, there is an easy and affordable solution that can help you find the future rock stars and help you avoid the bad apples. It's called OneScore, and you can try it for free. That's right. Chad and Cheese listeners can get a free seven-day trial by visiting wonderlick.com slash cheddar. That's W-O-N-D-E-R-L-I-C dot com slash C-H-E-D-D-A-R. Use OneScore to make your hiring process smarter. Go to www.wonderlick.com slash cheddar and start your free OneScore trial now. And speaking of OneScore, uh, Charlie Wonderlick, how are you? I'm fine, Joel. Thanks. How are you? I'm great. I'm great. This is... Uh, our first time meeting each other, so this could go terribly wrong, or we might be new best friends. Well, I sure hope it's the latter. <laughs> uh, so, uh, Wonderlick is a sponsor of the show. I made that pretty obvious uh, with the first advertisement. Um, and a lot of our listeners know about OneScore, but they may not know much about Wonderlick. I, as a huge sports fan, NFL freak, have known about Wonderlick for a long time. But for those of our listeners who don't, Tell us a little bit about yourself and, and Wonderlick. Okay. Um, well, Wonderlick is a company that has been uh, developing different kinds of ways for employers to make hiring better hiring decisions for almost 80 years. And the way that we do that is we find uh, different things that can be assessed about people that is related to how we think they will be able to perform uh, perform a given job and over the last 80 years we've served I don't know maybe 50,000 employers worldwide and our assessments have already been used by over 200 million job candidates and you assess NFL players as well which I think is at least where I heard about Wonderlick and also being an Indianapolis resident uh, and having the, com- the, the combine here every every year um, talk just a little bit about your relationship with the NFL and what you do for them. Sure. So despite the fact that for 80 years we've been working with employers, most people who have heard about Wonderlick have heard about us through our affiliation with the NFL. And, and basically what we do with the NFL and have been doing for almost 40 years now is part of what the NFL does during the annual um, combine is they use a variety of different techniques to measure things about the 
potential football players, one of which is a test called the Wonderlick Personnel Test, which uh, obviously given my name and the name of the test, it's, it's something that Wonderlick developed. The thing that's really curious about that and, and actually is relatively controversial is that this test measures something that some people don't necessarily think has very much to do with success on the football field, and that is intelligence. I would think the exact opposite. Thank you. If I'm, we, I'm we chased by a 300-pound lineman, well. I better be pretty smart. So the argument has been, uh, why would you, if you can look at a player's uh, success on, or failure on the field, why does it matter how, how quickly they can think or solve problems or adapt? And our argument has always been that the, those other things that you can measure about a person, whether it's for a job or you know, for, for playing on a given position in the field, is not necessarily what they know or what they've done, but how will they apply that knowledge and skills to new situations. And quite frankly, I think as we all know, there's a significant difference between success on the college football field and in the NFL. And we believe a lot of that has to do with how quickly your brain processes new information. Do all the positions take the Wonderlick test? I mean, we always hear about quarterbacks taking it, but do all the positions? Yeah, every every prospect is given the opportunity to take the test, and it's rare that any prospect refuses to take it. And in fact, when prospects refuse to take it, it, it also sends up a little bit of a different red flag. Gotcha. So as an employer, they're, they're typically going to take the same approach and test everyone because there's value in testing everyone, not just the executives. Would that be correct? That's right. And the concept of intelligence isn't, isn't really the more is better. It's really what is a competitive level of intelligence for a given job. So what we've found is that different jobs have different mental demands, just like different jobs have different physical demands. And if you can identify and select people that are within that normal range, not too bright, not too slow, then they tend to be more competitive, learn at a competitively rapid rate, and also stick around longer than when you either hire people that are constantly trying to catch up with others in that job or people who are constantly uh, looking for new and different and creative ways to do things in their board. So certainly different skill sets benefit from the test. Uh, I want to segue into millennials because age, I assume, has a big importance in what you guys do. And a lot of the recruiters that I talk to and that we, that we know, uh, millennials are sort of this puzzle that hasn't been figured out yet. Um, is your research and what you're doing telling, you know, revealing anything interesting about millennials and, and how they are in the workforce, how to recruit them? Yeah. We're, well, we're primarily focused on assessing things about people and finding ways to understand what's happening in our world as it relates to things that are really quantifiable. And probably the most interesting thing that we're finding about millennials is really focusing on this area that's referred to as soft skills. So we talked about intelligence, that's more of a hard skill. Knowledge like how to program, that would be a a hard skill. This term that keeps coming up with employers right now that they're, is that they're, they're really struggling to understand uh, why it is that there's a big gap between 
what an employer thinks are compatible soft skills and the types of soft skills that millennials sometimes bring to the interview or uh, even after they're on the job. And what sort of disconnects are you seeing? I think if the, the biggest disconnect seems to be that millennials are more accustomed to dealing and interfacing with technology than they are with people. <laughs> <laughs> and that's a dilemma because while they bring some phenomenal hard skills to the table, and and their and their those skills are so valuable and frankly there's such a huge deficit it's the soft skills again that enables them to deploy those uh those hard skills in in ways that uh in, in with people who may not be as accustomed to dealing with technology as they are to just you know interpersonally working with others so if you had a uh, an employer you know trying to recruit millennials knowing that you know, maybe they prefer texting over a voice conversation. Um, what sort of advice would you give them in, in effectively recruiting millennials versus, you know, say, be, say maybe boomers or Gen Xers? Well, I think the, the challenge isn't there. There's a challenge in terms of like, how do how do we recruit millennials? That's an interesting challenge. I think the challenge that employers are facing right now is trying to figure out how important are soft skills to job performance for a given job because some you know more than others and then does this job candidate and you know obviously right now if you're hiring you're you're probably going to have a large proportion of millennials that are applying do these millennials have adequate levels of the soft skills that you're looking for and that are necessary for job performance so in other words if we're recruiting someone you know a millennial for for a sales job or a management job that requires certain levels of communication skills or professionalism or interpersonal skills, it, 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 we, we really need to make sure that, that they have those skills or their likelihood of success on the job goes down. We can't teach the recipient of the information to gather it differently. We need to figure out if the millennial can provide it in, in the way that we needed it to, to be delivered. Have your tests changed over the years knowing sort of the expectations of uh, you know the different generations, and I'll give an example. Of, you know, dating. Um, you know, dating to a Gen Xer online might be filling out a profile on Match.com, whereas with a millennial, dating might be swiping right or left. Um, has the test changed over the years? And t- you know, tell us about that. Yeah, the tests do change over the years, but really with certain things like soft skills. We're constantly trying to understand and develop new tests that measure things that are relevant today. And most re- recently, we've been working on ways to first understand what employers meant when they use this term, soft skills, uh, then to def- really get a rigorous definition of it, and then to find ways to actually assess it. So I don't know that it's as much a question of how much do tests change, but how, what are the things that matter today? And what we're finding is that whereas as early as maybe five years ago, when you heard these terms of skills gap, there's a national skills gap, most people were referring to the hard skills gap. And and frankly, they were talking about basic math and verbal skills that were lacking in job candidates. Well, today, what we're finding is that there's a potentially even a bigger and more uh, challenging uh, skills gap, and that's being referred to as the soft skills gap. 
And you might say, oh, that's really interesting. Uh, what, what are we supposed to do about that? And we asked ourselves the same question. What we found out was that employers are using this term soft skills. And in many cases, they were referring to different things. So the first challenge for us was to try and really figure out, well, what, what do you mean? What is a soft skill? We know what hard skills are. We know what intelligence is. We know what math and verbal skills are. We have some idea about what personality traits are and how they relate to success on the job. But it was, it's been a real interesting journey for us to understand and, and really clearly define the types of soft skills that our uh, employers care about when they're thinking about hiring and uh, training and, and, and promoting people. Right. Any, um, any looking around corners uh, predictions for the future, gener- you know, future generations? Are these soft skills going to continue to be of importance? Yeah, I think that the that what's there's a couple of things that are right around the corner. Probably the biggest one that we see is that schools, that educators, are going to have to figure this out. They're pretty focused right now on teaching hard skills, and that's great. Employers view hard skills as being merely necessary, but it's 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 not enough. And so what we're seeing, is, uh, certainly at the uh, post-secondary education at, at career colleges, community colleges, um, four-year universities, is they're really starting to, to understand that if they're graduating students with you know, stellar academic records and super you know, well-defined hard skills, but they can't uh, communicate in an interview or they can't communicate with their supervisor or a client, that, that they're not going to get hired and they're not going to succeed. So I, I think that we're going to see a big a big shift there, and many of these schools are now referring to soft skills as employability skills. And I think when you talk about soft skills, a lot of that's driven by um, technology and automation, artificial intelligence. You know, we talk a lot about on the show. You know, uh, our trucking jobs in jeopardy because we're going to have self driving cars, and will cabbies be a thing of the past? Um, you know, well, programming and the hard skills that sort of we teach today, will machines um, be doing that in the future? And, and that obviously puts an importance on the soft skills and being able to relate to human beings and, and have feelings and emotions. Um, do you have any thoughts about automation and, and where the world's going and how um, the workplace is changing to adapt to that and how, um, you know, if you're looking for a job today, how you would um, approach that? I do. What we're seeing in terms of automation is that whereas uh, in the past, it, uh, it seemed like the entire recruiting application uh, process was, was really employer-centric and inconvenient for job candidates. And so, you know, it, well, it, the, it, which is unfortunate because the talented candidates that we want to reach are probably don't have all the time in the world to fill out, you know, silly applications or drive to conduct interviews for jobs that they're not qualified for or uninterested in. So I think the, the really the big trend that we're seeing is really trying to find ways to make it easier, more convenient to 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 apply, understand what kinds of jobs employers have, what kinds of opportunities they have, put those in front of potential candidates and allow them to self-navigate much of the process. Interesting, interesting. Um, Let's take a quick break, and we're going to talk a little bit about employment brand, and I have 
uh, some advice that I'd, I'd like to fish out from you if I were a small business. So uh, we'll stay with us. We'll be right back. Did you know that many of the largest recruiting engines are built on sovereign technology? The top three artificial intelligence innovators in the world use sovereign AI software. We've been the world leader in recruitment intelligence software since 1996, and we offer the most configurable, scalable, and accurate software on the market. It's also simple to integrate. Learn more about our resume parser and our artificial intelligence matching engine and how they can help improve your hiring process at Sovereign.com. That's S-O-V-R-E-N.com. Charlie, I'm a, I'm a small business, and every hire that I make is incredibly important because I don't necessarily have the time or energy to you know make mistakes in hiring. And I think assessments would be a great way to deter that from happening, but maybe I think it's sort of outside of my budget. Um, what do you tell small businesses in terms of the importance of assessing talent? Um, is this something really only enterprise level companies should and do worry about? Um, what are your thoughts on that? Well, <laughs> yeah, the one of the things that I find about small employers, small being, you know, is let's say even employers of under a hundred employees, is when I ask them a simple and straight up question, and I, and I say. Do you spend more time evaluating the merits, costs, efficiency of a copy machine or a potential new employee? Almost universally, they will say a copy machine. <laughs> and that blows my mind. And, that, and, it, and it's just true. And, and I wonder why that's true. Is it because they feel like that investment of 5000 or 10000 in a piece of hardware that's important uh, is something that is more important than, than bringing on a new employee in terms of total cost? I think the answer is no, not at all. What I really believe is that when we're buying a piece of technology or a thing, we can look and we, we have all these metrics that we can look at and we can comparison shop. We can comparison shop cost and you know speed and you know whatever characteristics it is that we want to. And I think that most employers don't believe that they can do that effectively with people, and it's just not true. It's, it is true that you can't do it in the same way with 100% accuracy, but it's not true that you can really shoot for range. You can really understand uh, through pre-qualifying candidates and, and using solid uh, interview techniques or assessments or a variety of different things that are really readily available. They've been democratized. They're not limited to super large employers that have their own, you know, HR staff with IO psychologists. But I, I think that's the case, that, it, that if small employers really don't believe that they can, you know, leverage existing tools and technologies to get the information that they need in a, in a cost-effective way, and it's just a reliable way, and it's not true. You're, uh, in talking before the call, you're, you're really passionate around employment brand, and, you know, we talk a lot about that and that it starts with the people. You know, it's not an advertisement or a slogan. Um, it really is the people. And it seems to me that, you know, giving assessments and understanding the, the sort of the psyche of your employees goes a long way into creating a culture, creating, you know, sort of a camaraderie, um, a consistency, um, and maybe even diversity. Um, what are your thoughts on how sort of assessing talent um, affects employment brand for companies? 
That's a that's a great question, Joel. I, I, I we work with so many different employers, and and one the other really big thing that we're seeing right now is performance, performance culture, performance, performance, performance. We small employers can no longer afford to hope for performance. You know, hire people, train them, and hope that they will perform. We need to drive performance, and it's it's critical. I it, I. I'm fascinated that small employers can compete with larger employers doing the same things that we do. In other words, you know, directly competing with with entities that are large and, and I don't know how any of us are going to compete with Amazon, but you know, larger competitors that do the same thing that we do. And truthfully, if you sit back and you think about it, especially if we have similar products and services, what differentiates us? And it's people. It's the people that we have. And when it comes to culture, well, it, it's also people, high-performing people want to be surrounded by other high-performing people. When you're bringing job candidates in to interview, they're, they're, they're interviewing you as well. They're looking around and they're trying to figure out what kind of talent you already have in place. Who's interviewing me? Is this an environment where they value talent and they're actually selective? Or is this an environment that really the interviews, you know, will you do it for the least? And and companies that are striving to do it, you know, do do whatever it is f- for the least are losing to those that are are striving to do more, to develop deeper, richer client experiences and products, and that that takes people. So I I, I think that the uh, the U.S. has always been competitive from an innovation perspective. And that innovation right now is coming from millennials, and 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 we need them, and we need to attract them, and they they will flock to organizations that are performance centric because they want to perform. They don't want to be. They don't want to just come in and and sit down and wait for the fifteen minute coffee break and then leave. They they want to come in. They want to grow. They want to make a difference. How is the uh, I guess the gig economy impacting your business? Um, people, you know, the millennials, obviously, and other uh, other folks, doing multiple things to, uh, you know, side hustles is a is a term that's that's used quite a bit. Is that impacting um, the product and how you build it, or how companies are using it? It's that's not really. I mean, it impacts us because it's it's true, and we have an understanding of that and respect for that within our within our own employees but what, what we're trying to do internally is create internal gigs for them and and it's it's really super effective there are a couple of things that we've done recently that I'm, I'm really proud of and they're really working one of them is bringing them together across departmentally to learn and learn things that are relevant to today. So one of the things that we're doing cross-departmentally is uh, teaching and, and learning together about uh, lean. What does it mean to be lean? What is lean technology? How is it that we can think and behave in a more lean fashion? That's one thing that, that we're finding. And that, that sort of becomes a kind of like a gig because it's not as, it's not as though it's a top-down approach to learning. It's a, it's a very collaborative peer level thing. We then leverage, take that up one more notch with this other uh, concept that we haven't been using, which is Islands of Freedom, where we identify challenges or goals that the business has. We assemble cross-departmental teams and we charter them with solving those problems. 
So what happens there as it relates to this concept of, you know, a gig and I want to do something different than my job or my, yeah, is, is that they're now participating in ways that extend beyond the, the actually the actual deliverable that they have when they're sitting at their desk or performing their job and they can have impact on the total organization. And that's just really, I, I can't, I can't overemphasize how important and, and beneficial that's been for us. Interesting. Interesting. Let's um, let's take a quick break, and I want to get slightly political uh, when we get back. America's Job Exchange is a market leader in diversity recruitment and an OFCCP compliance solution provider. We serve over a thousand customers, consisting of federal contractors and subcontractors, to SMBs and Fortune 500 organizations. America's Job Exchange specializes in job distribution to over 6,500 state one-stop career centers and community-based organizations, ensures the creation and maintenance of state credentials, obtains veteran preference on job postings, robust outreach management, and supports effective, positive recruitment efforts designed to recruit individuals with disabilities, veterans, women, and minorities. For more information, call us at 866-926-6284 or visit us at www.americasjobexchange.com. Charlie, the, uh, the employment rate is really low and a lot, of, a lot of talent is really hard to find. What are your thoughts on companies' willingness to do sort of the extra mile assessment stuff, um, you know, the homework on, on candidates? than they normally might not do in a, an environment where they can really be selective with, uh, with talent. I, yeah, I think it goes back to the, I, I don't know that I would focus exclusively on the assessment component or let's, let's call it the selection component. Cause I don't think that goes away whether they're, are, uh, whether whether there's many or few job candidates, I, th- I, th- I think really the question is how can you increase the funnel of job candidates that you have expressing interest in working for your company? How can you gather as much information as possible on those candidates in in a way that's as easy and convenient for them to provide as possible, so that when you see and so when you can quickly see those that are the most talented, the the highest potential that you can reach them before the competition. And so assessment you- assessment enables that because if you don't have something um, objective in that information gathering process and you open the funnel up, uh, it would be similar to opening up a, a, a sales funnel where you have a whole bunch of unqualified leads. It doesn't help, really help you at all. It just means there's more work. So it's a, it's a similar concept is how can we use automation process assessment or just information gathering to enable many more people, many more candidates to apply than we had previously been able to reach? And then how can we rapidly uh, identify those that are the most qualified so we can spend time with them before the competition does? Do you find that most employers are desire quantity more now than they did in the past because there are tools to sort of filter or assess talent to sort of weed out um, the ones that aren't uh, suited for a job? Mm, I think that, uh, for example, we, we, we ran an ad for accounts, accounts payable position, entry-level accounts payable position, and, w- and within three or four days we had 300 candidates. 
and we're we're a brand, but we're not you know we're not Google, we're not Amazon, we're not Facebook. We didn't, but we had three hundred candidates. So uh, how? So the the ability to use technology to open the funnel and make things convenient for people to raise their hands and say, "Geez, I'm interested in learning more," uh, is 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 right there. Uh, and and again, it's been de- democratized. That that technology is available to small to small companies. Now now once you've got that large group of candidates, I, it definitely it isn't a question of quantity over quality because we only needed to hire one. But the good news was that we were able to find one out of 300, and, and it was one of the top ones, and we were able to reach out uh, within hours of their application to say, hey, we're really interested in you. Would you be interested in talking to us? Technology enables that, but it's not technology like email that just says, hey, if you're interested in working here, send me an email. You'll be barraged with emails, and you'll have no way. I suppose you could go through resumes, but that but there's a way to do it with technology using you know, objective standardized information gathering that can get you to those top candidates much more quickly. And if you're not using that technology, you're so far behind the times that you're rendered, I mean, you're, you're going to get what's left. Do you think that technology is um, making the traditional resume obsolete or do you think that's still pretty rock steady? No, I think the traditional re- resume is uh, is is never it, you know whether what it, how it is that candidates share the information you know their background and experience and education with us is is going to be the same. I mean, it's going to be the same because those fundamental things haven't changed. the The thought that they can only share those with us after we've you know invited them in for an interview or asked them to email it to us or something that's really what's changing. It's it's. It's the same as true with assessment. It used to be that you know the vast majority of employment assessment was conducted on site, and that's no longer the case. Ninety-five percent of employment assessment is now done uh, uh, off-site at the candidate's convenience. So the, again, we're we're trying to find ways to make it convenient for the candidate to share as much information as possible with us, so that we can identify those that we should invite in it's not a really it, it's not really a concept of screening out we, we don't believe that it's, it's really that great of an idea to screen people out it, really it's how do we gather as much information as we can that's relevant and important as quickly and easily as possible and collect it in a way that we can sort and select and 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 really what we do with that information what our technology does is it actually boils it down to a single score so you can say okay we had, you know, 300 candidates apply. Show me top down which are the ones that, whose collective information was the, the greatest fit with what we're looking for, and start there. It may be that that top person wasn't a good fit for any given reason. Then you go to the next. The difference between doing it that way and just randomly selecting from the 300 or looking at resumes is, uh, is really tends to be the difference between getting to that top top talent before your competition or not. Do you find many candidates try to game the assessment system? And if so, how? Um, they, they, they do. There's different kinds of assessments. One of the most frequently used unproctored, you know, offsite assessment right now are uh, personality measures, where the employer is looking for certain personality characteristics for a given job. So let's say they're looking for a sales role. And they, they knew through some kind of research that they're looking for people that were, let's say, assertive 
which is common in sales or, or whatever that characteristic was. The, uh, those assessments really help them identify those candidates that have that, that personality trait. And what most of them, those measures have as well is a way of identifying candidates who are trying to appear to be more assertive than they are. So the technology is pretty good around assessment that while candidates can fake it, it's also pretty easy for good assessments to identify that while we have a high scoring candidate here on this given trait, the likelihood of it being an accurate result is low. Interesting. Interesting. Well, Charlie, I know that you are a busy guy uh, and it's Friday. So uh, we're at about a 30 minute click here. Um, anything you want to add that we missed? Should have asked you, but didn't? No, Joel, it's been a, a pleasure. Thank you. I, I love these topics and how they you brought them all together. I think they're all, all really relevant. And again, it's 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 the small employer's success is based on staying up to date with the times and being on top of it. And I've met, mentioned a couple of times the democratizing of assessment. And for the past, oh my gosh, 30 years, I've, I've seen a complete change where assessment was really a luxury of the large employers that could afford to develop it and administrate. And, and now that's, that's no longer true. So if your organization is considering assessment or considering ways of improving its employee selection process, I think it's, 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 it's worth the time to at least evaluate what's out there. I think it could have a very big impact for you. Sure. Sure. And, uh, as a sponsor, we'll certainly, uh, push you guys, uh, 14-day trial uh, for our listeners, wonderlook.com slash cheddar. Uh, go out there and, and uh, get, get to know Wonderlook if you don't already. Charlie, we appreciate your time, uh, and have a great weekend. This has been the Chad and Cheese Podcast. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss a single show. And check out our sponsors because they make it all possible. For more, visit HireDaily.com. Oh, and you're welcome. You've got questions, we've got answers. Business leadership, ownership, and sales can be challenging. Tune into the Accelerate Your Business Growth podcast to learn from the world's experts. Join me, your host, Diane Helbig, as I chat with people who have expertise in various areas of business. You'll enjoy the lively conversations that are focused on providing you with the ideas, tips, and suggestions you need to realize greater success. Get what you need for your business when you need it from the people who have the answers. Accelerate Your Business Growth is part of the Evergreen Podcast Network and is available on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast.